Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, open up a Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew the 6th chapter. Going to rip off several verses there in just a moment, and you will be helped tremendously if you will follow along in the Bible with me. I think you'll find not only is that helpful for you, but it's appreciated by me as well to know that folks are, are checking what I'm saying alongside the Word of God and making sure that those things are true and correct, and also just to know that the things that I'm talking about this evening are not my ideas. These are the things that God has placed for us in Scripture. Great to see everybody tonight. So glad that you are here. I hope that you've had a good afternoon and been able to joy, enjoy just this uh, beautiful day that the Lord has given us. And uh, just thankful that you've made the decision to conclude it by being here once again with God's people to worship and to study from His Word. Let's do some of that right now in Matthew chapter 6. This is in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about prayer. And we're told there in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is an amazing set of verses, isn't it? This is the kind of passage that reminds us that Jesus truly is the master teacher. Because in just a concise set of words that drive directly to the point, Jesus tells us virtually all that we need to know about prayer. In less time than it would take you to brew a cup of coffee or to boot up your computer, Jesus covers essentially the essentials of prayer. I wonder sometimes what Jesus thinks of preachers who preach long sermons that go on and on and on over subjects that Jesus was able to cover in just a few short words. But in truth, these verses revolutionize everything that we know and understand and believe about prayer. Yet in the middle of all of that, there is a landmine. A verse that if we step on it, it threatens to blow up everything about prayer. Right there in the middle of all of that wonderful teaching, there is a verse that seems like it could undermine everything else that Jesus has to say. It's a verse that actually may make us think about junking prayer altogether. It's a verse that makes us ask ourselves, is prayer pointless? And the verse that I'm referring to is verse 8 where Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God is omniscient, of course. That is the term for all-knowing. And in some ways, that is very comforting. I know that I don't like the idea of a God that can be out-clevered or out-foxed or caught off guard in some way. It's wonderful to know that everything that you have ever done or thought God is ahead of it. He's ahead of it. Before you did it, before you thought it, God was right there in front of it. I like that a lot. 
Because I can humble myself before a God who wields that kind of knowledge and that kind of power. But you know, as much as I like the fact that God is all-knowing, as much comfort as I take in that, I have to be honest with you. I must tell you this evening that when the time comes for me to bow my head in prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8 is staring a hole right through me. Here I am about to petition God, present my supplications before Him, going to ask God for something. Is verse 8 saying, Josh, hold on, just save your breath? God already knows. This verse causes us to ask the question, why should we pray? If God already knows, then why do we even bother doing that? Have you ever really thought about that before? And if you haven't, you most certainly are thinking about it right now. I have known folks who have actually struggled with prayer for this very reason. You know, what's prayer good for if God knows what we're going to pray about? He's able to read our minds. He knows what we're thinking before I ever even open my mouth. Does this just put prayer out of business? Well, this evening, that is what I want to talk to you about. And in some ways, I want to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. I want to go ahead and just answer that question right here at the beginning. Is prayer pointless? I want to assure you right now that your prayers are not pointless. Jesus did not make this statement to discourage praying. Instead, He made these statements to encourage us. In fact, to strengthen our faith in a God who knows our every need. Jesus makes these statements to challenge us to think about why we pray. This evening what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to set before you four reasons why you want to keep on praying even though God already knows what you're going to pray for. Four reasons that you want to continue in prayer which in many ways will help us to better understand exactly why we do pray. And of course, I've got to start with this. Right at the very top of that list, the very first reason that we're going to keep on praying is because, well, because God commands us to do that. Let's not make the mistake of deciding that, well, we're going to obey God, but only if it makes complete sense to us. As if to say, oh, okay, God, well, well, now I get it. Now that you explain that, well, yeah, now I'll get around to doing that. You know, now I'll be obedient. No, no, sir, no, ma'am. That's not the biblical definition of obedience. I will attempt for the next few minutes to preach about prayer and try to convey some things that will help us to understand why we pray, and I do hope that the things that I'm going to say will make sense to each of you. But you know what? Whether it does or whether it doesn't, really doesn't make any difference at all. Because prayer is a command of God, and we're going to obey God. Let's just start a little bit in the Bible. Look in Luke 18 with me. In Luke the 18th chapter, as if Matthew 6 wasn't enough, Jesus modeling prayer, that ought to be enough to say to us that, hey, God expects us to pray. Well, let's just stack up a couple of other verses. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell His disciples a parable. It's the parable of the persistent widow. And, well, what's the point of this parable? Well, actually, Luke tells us the point of the parable before He even tells the parable. In Luke 18 and in verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Do you see it there? We ought to be praying, the Bible says. Let's add to that what's said in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, here is the listing for the armor of God. Those things that are necessary for us to stand against the wiles of the devil. You need the sword of the Spirit. You need the breastplate of righteousness. You need the helmet of salvation. All of that good stuff. 
Then look at the end of that list, how it's all capped off in verse 18. Because Paul also says that we are to be, Ephesians 6, 18, we are to be praying at all times. Constantly, that'll be a regular thing in our lives. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you hear it now? If you are not praying regularly, then the word of the day this evening is the word repent. Brother or sister, you need to repent if you are not constant in prayer. You need to start praying because God commands you to do that. And that is exactly where we do need to get this thing started, need to get grounded right off the bat in that, that God says it, we're going to do it. And there's a lot of things that God commands that I don't understand all of the facets of it. I don't understand all of the logic behind it. But you know what? Whether I ever fully get it as it pertains to prayer, all the ins and outs of prayer, whether I ever get it or not, makes no difference in the final analysis. I must continue to pray because God commands it. But you know what? That sense of duty and that sense of obligation... That's good, but it'll actually only get us so far. And in fact, it doesn't cover everything that we need to think about as it pertains to prayer. That's why I would tell you secondly, that even though God knows what we're going to pray, we need to keep on praying because, well, because prayer is about a whole lot more than just petitions. It's about more than just asking God for stuff. If I were to just ask you, and in fact, if I were to ask our kids right now, they could give the answer because we just covered this in the Bible drill. If I were to ask you what is the definition of prayer, just the most basic, stripped-down definition of what prayer is, then maybe what you would probably say is, well, prayer is talking to God. You know what? That's a really good definition. I like that definition. Prayer is us talking to God. But as soon as somebody comes along and says, well, why should I pray if already God knows before I even ask for something, well, then it's pretty clear that that person is defining prayer in a different way. Because their definition of prayer is not just talking to God. No, their definition of prayer is getting stuff, asking God for stuff. How can I get some stuff out of God and He'll dispense with some goodies to me? Why, to that person, God is nothing more than just kind of a cosmic genie in the lamp. And you just got to kind of figure out the right combination of words and phrases to get him to respond and to grant you those special wishes. And then, of course, along comes Matthew 6, verse 8, where it says that God already knows what you're going to ask before you ever even ask it. So, hey, let's just cut out the middleman in this equation. And God, let's just get to dispensing with the blessings, huh? Forget the praying. Why don't you just give us what we want? If that sounds crass and if that sounds flawed, it's because it is. Everything about that is horribly wrong. Prayer is not about how can I crank stuff out of God. Prayer is about talking to our Creator. And there are many reasons as to why I should want to talk to my Creator. Even though He knows it, knows everything before I ever even utter the first word. Lots of reasons why I want to be talking to God. For example, I need to confess my sins to God. That's a big thing. Look at 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, John talks about that explicitly. In 1 John chapter 1, look in verse 8. 1 John 1 verse 8, John says, If we say we have no sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 though, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see how important confession is? That's how you get right with God. If you're a Christian, you've done stuff that's wrong, and you're out of a right relationship with God, I need to confess that to God. I need to repent of that. I need to talk to the Lord about that. Add to that what's said in James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, James even talks about the idea here of bringing others into that praying as we're confessing sin. In James chapter 5, here's a passage that explicitly connects confession and prayer. James 5 verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and then pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, of course, this confession of sin thing, well, that doesn't have anything to do with God's knowledge. God already knows when I've sinned. He already knows when I did it, where I did it, what I did, and why I did it. But I still need to acknowledge that to the Lord. I need to show God that, hey God, I get it. I see where I messed up. I understand that there was no excuse and no rationalization for it. I know that that was sinful. Whenever I confess my sins, I'm not telling God anything that He doesn't already know. But I am telling Him that I see my actions through His eyes, from His point of view. And so I am now turning away from those sins because I see them as repulsive. I see them as ugly. I see them as awful. And I need to verbalize that. I need to say that to my Lord. But you know what? Not only do I need to confess my sins to God, I need to also use prayer as a means of offering God my thanksgiving. Look in Colossians 2, please. In Colossians 2... As Paul discusses here what it means to be alive in Christ, he says in Colossians 2 and in verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, love this expression, abounding in thanksgiving. There's just something about walking in Christ that just causes us to overflow with gratitude, to be abounding in thanksgiving. Let me just turn back a few pages to Ephesians 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, read a lot of verses from there this morning. I'm not going to read those verses. I need to direct your attention to verse 20. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 20, if you're saying something about singing, and certainly this particular verse, verse 20, probably would apply maybe in the context specifically to singing, but it's not limited just to singing. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 20, we are to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I do Ephesians 5 verse 20, when I tell God, God, thank you for my blessings, is that news to Him? Did that? Whoa, that totally caught me off guard. I didn't know that you were thankful. Of course not. God knows when we're thankful. He's able to know our hearts. He's able to know our minds. You give a child a little gift. You know that that child is going to say thank you. In fact, if they don't say thank you, their mom or their dad's probably going to prod them and say, what do you say, Johnny? We'll go over there and tell them. And the child's going to come and say, thank you. They're going to do that. And we know that it's coming. We expect that. Well, in the same way, God knows that I'm going to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you've given me. But you know what? Just as it is important for that child to say that, 
to come and to verbalize that to someone who gives them a gift. It is just as important, in fact, more important for you and I to come before our Heavenly Father and to say that and to make that known. How on earth can you and I be the recipients of so much from God? And then we're going to turn around and we're just going to ignore this privilege of thanksgiving through prayer by saying, well, well, God, you already know how I feel. You already know my heart. Why do I need to say that? How inadequate. How weak. You see, there's lots for us to talk to God about besides just asking Him for stuff. We could spend hours talking to God in prayer. What if we just spent time in prayer just extolling God, adoring Him, adoration, just speaking of all the greatness and the good things that God is. Don't even ask for anything. Don't even say anything about us. Just talking about God to God. We could do that for hours without ever making a single request. And that is especially true whenever you think about how essential communication is to good relationships. And that is this third reason that we want to keep on praying, even though God already knows what we're going to say. And that is because prayer, prayer helps to deepen our relationship with our Father. You know, I just keep coming back to this idea of what is prayer? Well, prayer is us talking to God. Well, why are we talking to God? Are we talking to God just because we want something or we need something? We talked about marriage this morning. What if in your marriage... The only time you ever spoke to your spouse was when you wanted something, whenever you needed something. What kind of relationship would that be? What kind of a marriage would that be? It wouldn't be a very good one, I wouldn't imagine. And I'm afraid there are folks who have a relationship with God, but it isn't a very good one. Because they don't speak to God unless there's a crisis, unless they're wanting something, unless they've got to ask God for something. And in fact, now they found a verse that says, well, I don't even really have to even do that much. I can just sit in silence because God's already supposed to know what I'm thinking and what, what, what I need, what those blessings are. How one-sided is that relationship? You know, maybe it's time for us to update that definition of prayer. Maybe we need to redefine that a little bit. I like the definition of saying prayer is talking to God, but it's more than just talking to God. Prayer is talking to God... Because we want to talk to God. Because we are in a relationship with Him. Because we love Him. We want to communicate with the One who is the very object of our love. Isn't that what relationships are about? Look in the Old Testament with me. Look in 1 Samuel 12. Excuse me, 1 Samuel 2. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read here about Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible describes them as being just wicked, just terrible people. Well, why exactly were they wicked, worthless? Well, the Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm reading here in verse 12. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean they didn't know the Lord? Does that mean that they didn't know the facts about God? They didn't know that He was the one true God? He created the heavens and the earth, that He made man in His image. He did all that in six days, and then He rested on it. Of course they knew that. They knew those facts about the Lord. These are the sons of the high priest. These are guys who would have known reams upon reams upon reams of facts about God. They served in the tabernacle daily. They knew that stuff. Yet the Bible says they didn't 
Know the Lord. That word know is a word for relationship. It is the word that if you're using like a King James Bible, it's the word that is used of the kind of intimate relationship between a man and a wife. Adam knew Eve. She conceived and bore a son. That is a word that speaks of deep relationship. Real connection. Really desiring to be with that person. Having an interest in what interests them. Having a mutual relationship to care about, to enjoy each other. We want to be together. And what is always the hallmark of that kind of relationship? It's talking. Communicating. In fact, isn't it true that whenever something amazing happens in your life, that if you don't have people who are close to you, if they're not there with you to share in that moment, doesn't it always kind of diminish the value and the greatness of that moment because, well, because the people that you love are not there to share that with you? And isn't the first thing after something amazing like that happens is you want to get on the phone and call that person and tell them about this amazing thing that's taken place? remember several years ago when my dad went out west and I think it was the very first time that he had ever went and seen... Uh, the Grand Canyon, or at least maybe the first time he saw the Grand Canyon, and it had a cell phone, and he calls home, and he wants to let everybody at home know, hey, this is amazing. The beauty of what I'm looking at right now, I can't just keep that to myself. i got to call and tell somebody. i got to let some people know how awesome this is. I remember when I bought my very first new car. I was planning on making that a big surprise. I was going to be driving in. Everybody's going to be, whoa, look at him. He's got a brand new car. Couldn't help myself, though. Had to call my brother Luke on the ride home and tell him all about it. Couldn't contain that good news. A few months ago, when we were in the hospital, we were quarantined inside the hospital trying to give birth. To, well, not me. But Tiffany was trying to give birth to, to Gertie Ray. And, of course, we're in there, and nobody else is allowed to come in. And we want to get that good news out. I mean, hey, we're excited about this moment. But we got all these friends and family and all these brothers and sisters that care about us and they want to share in that moment and they're missing out. So we're sending text messages and emails and calls and posting on Facebook to let people know about that. We want them to share in that moment with us. Well, you want to know the great thing about God? He's always there. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you are seeing. It doesn't matter what you are experiencing. He will never miss a single day of your life. He is always going to be there. He's going to be there in all those amazing moments. Those moments where you are on the top of the Grand Canyon. Or where you are observing a beautiful sunset. And you want to just say to Him, God, this is wonderful. Thank you for this. He's able to be there to rejoice with you in those moments. And furthermore, God is also there in those moments when you're frustrated. When things at work are just, yeah, I'm going to strangle somebody. When you tell God about that, God, I'm really upset here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm at my wit's end about this. Or God, did you see what's going on in the world today? I turned on the news and I couldn't believe what I saw. God, did you see that? It made me so upset. God is always there. He is ready for us to talk to Him about that, to pour out our hearts to Him, to confide in Him, to entreat Him as a Father, to let Him know that we care about Him because we know that He cares about us. What we're talking about here is about us being intentionally aware of God. Do you do that? Do you do that on a day-to-day -day basis? Intentionally stop and think about God. 
Not because somebody else calls you to think about God. No, hey, you, you've been reading your Bible lately? No. You on your own. Just spontaneously. I'm thinking about the Lord here. I'm thinking about God here. We want to be able to see the world through His eyes. I'm thinking about Him intentionally so that we are, as a result, spontaneously, naturally, our inclination is to talk to Him. Why? Because we're in a relationship with Him. You want to see that in action? You read the book of Psalms. The Psalms are filled with all of these amazing writings. Many of them are prayers where it's people just pouring out their hearts to God. Just saying, God, life is wonderful. Thank you for this. Or them saying, God, I'm mad. And I need to tell you about that. In fact, sometimes people even voice their anger to God. God, I'm mad at you right now. And I need to tell you about that. That's what prayer is. It's our direct line of communication to heaven. And if there's no communication, then there's no relationship. You maybe even know somebody who even wears the name Christian who thinks they have a great relationship with God because they come to church regularly, because they read their Bible regularly, they can quote Bible verses, they can debate points of doctrine all the way down to the finest point, but they don't have much of a prayer life. And as a result, what is true about them is that while on the exterior it may appear that they are very strong spiritually, the reality is many times those are the people who are the weakest because they have a very superficial relationship with their Father. Prayer helps to fill that gap. Prayer helps move us past the point of just knowing about God to where we are really knowing God and loving Him and serving Him with all of our heart. And in case you missed it, once again, that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that God already knows everything about us and about our thoughts before we ever even open our mouth. Prayer is bringing me closer to God because that's where I need to be. Finally this evening, look in James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, here is the fourth reason why it is that we need to keep on praying even though God already knows it all. In James chapter 4, look in verse 2. In James chapter 4 and in verse 2, James writes this, he says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Then he says, you do not have because you do not ask. One of the reasons that we pray, even though God already knows our hearts beforehand, is because God acts when we pray as He would not do otherwise. There's just no way around it. God does things in answer to prayer that He would not have done otherwise. That's what James is affirming for us. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, well, why? You know, if we talk about God is so good, well, why doesn't He just go ahead and give it up? Why didn't God just go ahead and give His children what we need? Why doesn't He just give it to me? Well, can we stop and think about that just practically for a moment? If God just gave us everything that we wanted all of the time without us ever even offering the first supplication, the first petition to Him in prayer, what would happen is, is eventually we'd become greedy, wouldn't we? All of us maybe know, or at least at minimum, we've seen this in the movies, but it's true. You know somebody who maybe is pretty well off, and as a result of them being well off, they just give their kids everything. 
They give their child everything that they would ever want before that child ever even lifts a finger or before that child ever even opens their mouth to make the first request. They just get it. Child says, I want it, and so they get it. And what kind of results do those parents of those children usually end up with? Well, they usually end up with children that are obnoxious, spoiled, and kind of bratty. And that is a modeling of parenting that we as parents, we see that and we think about that and we think, I, I don't want any part of that. I'm not interested in doing that with my kids. Children like that are being done a terrible disservice by their parents. And we recognize that. Now, if we as human parents, if we don't want to cause our human children to turn out like that, obnoxious and bratty and spoiled, then what makes us imagine that our Heavenly Father would want to raise up spiritual children who end up being obnoxious and bratty and spoiled? You know, perhaps somewhere in here I should just add that our commitment to something in prayer, that's one of the ways that we demonstrate to God just how much we want, and just how much we see that there is a need for the thing that we are asking for. And if you go down to Walmart with your kids or your grandkids or just any kid, and you pass through the toy aisle, pretty soon what's going to start? I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, i got to have that. Let me, can I get this? Can I put this in the car? Let me have some of that. And those who are really wise parents, they know that that is the moment that you hit the accelerator and you get out of the store as fast as you possibly can because hopefully by the time you get to the parking lot, they will have forgot all about what it is that they said that they wanted in the toy aisle. They wanted it in the moment, but it wasn't like they were permanently attached to it, at least most of the time. But you know what? Every now and then, every now and then a kid will see something that they want and they do keep talking about it. They think about it. They sit and daydream about it. I saw that toy. I saw that shiny new bicycle. And man, I really would like to have that. And they continue to talk about that for not just the rest of that day, but in the coming days and in the coming weeks. And pretty soon what that kid does is that kid comes to mom and dad and they say, hey, there's some extra chores that I can maybe do around the house to earn a little bit of extra money because I'd like to save up and buy that bike that I've been thinking about. So they just keep talking about that bike. And somewhere in the middle of all of that talking about that and the effort that they're putting in to obtaining that bike, we finally come to the realization, oh, he really does want that bike. His heart is set on having that. He is serious about this. This is not just some passing, momentary, frivolous request. No, he's been talking about this for like three months now. I'm going to help him to get that bike. I think in many ways that parallels our relationship with the Lord in prayer. I'm sure you've had the experience before of praying for something and not getting it, and then you just give up on that particular request. And that does happen. But on the other hand, I'm going to guess you've probably also had the experience of persisting about something in prayer, just like that persistent widow in the parable in Luke 18. And the outcome of that ended up being much different didn't it? Maybe the most important thing that I can say about that is that when we pray, that helps us to have assurance that God has acted whenever He answers those prayers. If God just gave us stuff all of the time, willy-nilly, I'm afraid we'd have no way of really knowing whether it was just some random coincidence that I got what I was wanting, or maybe what I got was something cleverly disguised by the devil, and it's the devil giving me this thing 
or whether this really was a gift from the Father. But you know what? When we have pursued the Lord in prayer, when we have persisted, when we have done the James chapter 4, verse 2 thing, where we have asked, because I don't want to do without on account of my failure to ask, and what we have done is we have sought Him in prayer fervently, and when God then answers that prayer, we can know conclusively that came from the Lord. I'm going to give credit to the Lord for that. I'm going to thank the Lord for that. I'm going to return glory to the Father for that answered request. Somebody maybe says, and you hear people say things like this from time to time, I just don't see the providential hand of God in my life. Have you tried praying? If you tried praying, you'd start to see that in your life. Try praying, because if you'll start praying and then paying attention, you'll be able, I believe, to start marking off different areas of your life where God has indeed answered prayer. You can then return the glory to Him that He is so richly deserving of. All of that, once again, I believe, gives value to prayer. It gives value to prayer even when God already knows what we need before we ask. I think that and all these other ideas, they help us with prayer. And they help us with making sense of that verse in Matthew 6 and in verse 8. I should tell you though, this doesn't answer everything doesn't answer all of my questions about prayer. There's a lot about the idea of God partnering with human beings that I just frankly don't understand. And for example, why does God want us to tell our neighbors and our friends and the people of the world about Jesus? Why didn't God just do that? I'm convinced God could do that way better than we could do that. Why didn't God just send angels to preach the gospel? Angels could preach circles around me and all the other human preachers. Why does God do that? Why does He choose to work through human agents to these you know, clay vessels, these earthen vessels? I don't know all the reasons for that. I just know that's what God says He wants to have done. Or why does God want us to help the poor? Why does God want us to have concern for those that are poor? God could just poof up groceries for everybody who's poor. He could just do that. He could take care of everybody in one fail swoop. He could do it that way. Why does God want to carry, have us help to carry out that mission? I don't know. In all honesty, I'm actually amazed that God would even partner with us at all. That an all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God who can do so much, in some ways, He limits Himself by what we, His servants, are willing to do. As we are His hands, we sing about that, we are His hands, we are His feet here on this earth, we are the tools that He is using. God surely doesn't need us, but He has chosen to work through us. And so it is with prayer. Could God get by without prayer? Yep. God would be just fine if you and I never offered a single prayer to Him. But He has chosen to use it as an instrument to help us and as a means of responding to us. And while I do not know everything about prayer, I am confident of this one thing. As surely as God could do and get by without prayer, you and I could not. We cannot. And thus we should be so thankful because we need to pray. We do. We need that. We need to pray even though God knows every word of every prayer that we will ever pray in this life. Instead of us getting discouraged about that, and maybe threatening to just throw prayer on the scrap heap of what we might deem as a useless idea, let's rejoice that our Father lets us pray 
And He encourages us to pray. And He wants us to pray so that we can know the depth of relationship with Him that ultimately will lead us to heaven. Because when we're in heaven, guess what? We won't need to pray anymore. We'll get to talk to God face to face. Until then, we're going to keep on praying. Now if you're using a songbook, using the supplement, you can be getting that out and turning that to the song that's been selected in the front inside cover, number zero, I Am The Way. Talked in great detail this evening about how God does know everything. He knows what you are doing. He knows what it is that you are thinking. He knows every single thing about you. Can I tell you one other thing that God knows? God knows those who are His. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says that God knows those who are His children. He knows if you are one of His faithful sons or daughters. And by proxy, that means that He also knows those who are not His faithful children. And quite frankly, if you know that you are not one of His children, if you are not living faithfully as one of His children, then that fact ought to absolutely shake you to your core. Because it is only God's faithful children who have the promise of answered prayer. Furthermore, it is only God's children who have the promise of eternal salvation with Him in heaven. If you're not a Christian this evening, we are encouraging you, pleading with you through the words of this song to come to Jesus. He is the only way to come to Him for cleansing, by His grace, by His mercy, by what He did for us on Calvary. He's made possible for you and I the way to heaven we will humbly obey Him. Can we help you to confess Jesus as Lord, repent of your sins, be baptized in water this very hour? All things are ready for that to happen tonight. If you are a child of God, but you know in your heart that you're not living right, then brother or sister, don't forfeit your salvation. Don't forfeit the confidence of knowing God is hearing my prayers, that He is responding to my prayers by continuing in unfaithful living. Turn it around. Repent. Come back to Him tonight. Let us pray with you and encourage you and help you to serve the Lord in a better way. Whatever your need may be, you simply need to come to the front and make that known. Do that while we stand and while we sing.